You're listening to the Wellness Insider Network, episode number 25. Welcome to the Wellness Insider Network podcast, a place where you discover how to create a balanced, vibrant, and stress-free life with the right food, herbs, and self-care techniques. I'm your host, Lana Camille. I'm a college professor, drug information pharmacist, and an herbalist. Thank you for joining me on this adventure. Let's get the show started. Hello, Wellness Insiders. I hope you're having a fabulous week. My guest today is Orna Isaacson. Orna is an Oregon-based writer, gardener, herbalist, and naturopathic physician. She came to naturopathic medicine through her interest in health, her passion for environment and science, and her love of plants. Orna is a graduate of National University for Natural Medicine. As a naturopath, she treats people and not conditions, and her main tools of trade are people's medicine, otherwise known as plants, food, homeopathy, and hydrotherapy. Orna's job is to remind her patients that natural cures are in their hands, cupboards, bathtubs, and refrigerators. She's a teacher and cheerleader, helping her patients towards better health. I am super excited. Today, I have Orna Isaacson with me. Uh, Orna is a naturopathic doctor and an herbalist, and we met last fall at the American Herbalist Guild, and I absolutely fell in love with her when I attended one of her lectures. Welcome. So thrilled to have you here. You make me sound all serious and important. Uh, well, you're not very serious, so I agree with that. As with most of my guests, uh, the first question that I'm going to ask you is, how did you actually start um, and how did your journey begin? So what made you excited about becoming a naturopathic physician and an herbalist? Tell us a little bit about that. So you know how some kids at like two or three or four decide they want to be a doctor and their whole life is about that? Yes. That was not me. Okay. <laughs> I, I really had no interest in it. Um, my interest was in environmental issues. Okay. And so um, I went to school to become a journalist and I worked for many years as an environmental journalist. And the part of environmental journalism or environmental issues that I really gravitated toward was, was not so much the chemistry, but the mm-hmm. biology. Mm. So not so much pollution, but more um, forests and wildlife and climate. Mm-hmm. So really it's about ecosystems, about how, things live together and interrelate to each other. So how things are connected and how if you pull on one thing, you're pulling on other things. Um, At the same time, I had my own personal health issues. And when I was 25, I was seeing a medical doctor who was actually a friend's dad. Okay. Who told I had gotten very sick, and he basically said, "This, these are some things you're always going to have to do for the rest of your life." And I did them once, and I didn't like it. And I said, 
there's got to be something else. And because I didn't want to be a doctor, I searched, you know, I read books and tried to figure things out for myself. But eventually I said, somebody else did want to be a doctor. I'm going to find somebody who's awesome, mm-hmm. them to figure this out for me so I can focus on journalism and environment. Okay. And so my, my focus on the environment started to shift into an aspect of it started to shift into gardening, basically like the idea that there was something you could do right in front of you Mm -hmm. have an effect. So I had gotten a seed catalog that talked about, um, rare species of tomatoes, you know, and so you could grow a purple carrot or an orange tomato and you would be promoting diversity and how fun would that be? And it would be in the garden. Yes, yes, yes. I started down that road. Okay. And then after, you know, after several years of doing that, I, you know, I threw in some culinary herbs. I had some thyme and some oregano and some rosemary, you know, the kinds of things that people commonly grow in their yards along with, along with food, or even if it's just an ornamental yard. Mm -hmm. And I got really sick again. Mm -hmm. And I thought that I might need to go to the hospital again. And my neighbor was studying herbal medicine and she suggested a few things that didn't help. And then she did not, did not help mm-hmm. was trying them. And then she said, why don't you talk to my teacher? Mm. The teacher added two herbs, one that grew in the mountains where I love to go. And one that I had growing in my backyard. Okay. And. Orna, who was the teacher? Colette Gardner. She's not teaching herbal medicine anymore. Okay. Okay. Um, so, so, so those. Sometimes. Okay. What happened was I added those two things and very quickly turned the corner, didn't need to go to the hospital. And that's where I had that light bulb moment that health and healthcare and even medicine aren't things that only exist in a sterile doctor's office or in a pharmacy. Mm-hmm. It's literally all around us. And it's hard to, like an epiphany, a light bulb going off, what it feels like you only know when you feel it so it's hard to explain what it felt like mm-hmm. but it just kind of turned things around for me and i got burned out on journalism was looking for something to do and i happened to run into somebody who was going to school to be a naturopath and i thought i could never do that i could never do that tell me how you did that mm. and, and here I am. So I studied herbal medicine for a few years to see if that would be enough. And I kind of wanted to be even geekier. So I okay. got the degree. So where did you go to school? So I studied herbal medicine with Colette Gardner, who as okay. I said, is no longer teaching herbal medicine. I did a 400-hour professional herbal program with her. Mm-hmm. And then I studied with Howie Brownstein and Stephen Yeager, the Columbine School of Botanical Studies in Eugene. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I went to, I got my naturopathic degree at what is now called National University of Natural Medicine here in Portland, Oregon. 
That's awesome. So what's your favorite thing about being a naturopath and herbalist? The big thing for me, and it doesn't always work, is when I can pull together my herbal knowledge, my medical knowledge, and my environmental knowledge and help somebody have that light bulb moment that their medicine is, is literally like in their hands. It's literally right outside their door or on their windowsill. And I had a patient, one of my earliest patients, she was very sick. Um, she was on three pages of drugs, um, highest doses of everything. Everybody told her, that her medical doctors all told her there was nothing they could do for her. And we did some simple things with digestion that we're going to talk about. And I gave her one herb and some other things that she didn't do that were specific for her condition. And she went from having episodes of her condition several times, many times every day, to no episodes most days, going down on her meds and the principal herb that we were using, she went and bought some and made her own preparations of it. And then she bought seeds and started growing her own. So she went from having to see a doctor regularly and buying, you know, spending hundreds of dollars on stuff to having something she could just grow and take and really make a change in her life. That is so wonderful to hear. So the workshop that I met you through was about being resilient and really knowing things that grow around you and utilizing all these herbs that grow around you to their full potential. And so this is kind of like takes it full circle for me. So that, that is absolutely wonderful. I'm so glad. Yeah. So you mentioned that... Uh, so one of your favorite things is to take these three different approaches. And I know that also um, when I explored your website at some point that you also talk about a vitalist triad or triad. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? How these, you know, trinities, they seem to appear all the time in the conversations and what are they all about? Well, I don't know about trinities per se, but the vitalist triad um, is basically an idea I got from one of my teachers in medical school. Um, he talked about basically three areas and of health and where they intersect um, is, a, is a set of treatments and also optimal health. Mm -hmm. The vitalist triad, as I've sort of reimagined it, is that there are three key components to health. So the first is assimilation, so how you take in from the world. So this is how you take in information, how you take in joy, how you take in um, physical food, how you take in emotions. The second is elimination, which is how you get rid of the waste products. So waste products as emotions, waste products as, can we say the words? Can we say poop and pee? Of course. Um, so how you get the toxins out of your body. 
And then the third piece is managing inflammation. Okay. So inflammation, we all have a kind of an idea of what it is. In some ways, inflammation, in many ways, inflammation is a wise process our body uses to protect us and to heal us. Hmm. So when you sprain your ankle and it swells, what's happening is you've got um, the immune system all rushing to the area to help heal what you sprained or tore and the heat that you get is actually the immune system being really active like in the same way when you get sick you get a fever that's the activity of the immune system mm -hmm. um the swelling the swelling can be counter well both of these can be counterproductive but the swelling one of the side effects that it has is it keeps you from twisting your ankle more Right. So it prevents, yes, it protects you from doing more damage. Right. It's a reminder, don't walk on me right now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Pain also. So inflammation is part of a normal healing response. And too much inflammation that goes on too long, that, isn't con that gets out of control, more and more we're understanding that that's the root cause of pretty much all of the chronic debilitating diseases, whether that's multiple sclerosis or Alzheimer's or common everyday, not so fun, even though it's common in everyday depression. Mm -hmm. So what we want is we want to keep inflammation in that healthy range. So when I talk about the vitalist triad, assimilation, elimination, and managing inflammation, I talk about not inflammation, but managing it. So keeping it in that sweet spot where it's doing the things we want it to do, but not having it go overboard. And if you imagine those three things as overlapping circles, mm -hmm. you've got all three dialed in in that middle spot there are certain practices, um, certain nutrients, certain activities that help support all three. And when you've got them all dialed in, you're in a state of health. That is beautiful. Thank you. So, and two of these elements are really talking about how you digest or how you take in and how you, um, how things leave your body. So this is what we ultimately think of as digestion or digestive health, right? Mm -hmm. But I want to say, please, um, if you're not doing assimilation and elimination optimally, mm -hmm. you will have inflammation. Okay. So this is where people talk about foods that do and don't sit well with them or foods that give them allergies or foods that make their joints ache mm -hmm. or foods that make them more or less depressed. So you've got to get those other two dialed in. And that's kind of the beauty of this idea, which again is not mine, of this triad, that when all you need all three things working together but it's not rocket science it's mm. it's all stuff that we basically know 
Yes, yes. And, you know, it's very interesting because um, I remember the first time, so I teach a course for pharmacy students, and my course is uh, in herbal medicine. And so um, we talk about a variety of different areas, and then we kind of move to the uh, organ systems. And the very first one that I usually discuss with my students is a digestive health. Mm-hmm. And so from time to time, they are surprised because this is not how it's done in a conventional um, medicine or conventional pharmacy, because digestion is considered to be an easy one. And usually, eh, you know, it's not as crucial maybe as cardiovascular system, but it is the most important system that I know of that is discussed in every Uh, herbalist training in every naturopath training. So can you talk a little bit more about just the the place where digestion, that digestion plays? What are you made of? So when we are thinking of what we're made of is probably things that we take in and then minus the things that we excrete, right? So what you were uh, referring to uh, earlier and then whatever is left, right? Well, but literally think about what you're made of, like touch your face, touch your skin, touch your hair. Mm -hmm. These are combinations of fats and proteins. I mean, it's literally the stuff of us. Right. So I have, um, I have a friend, I, I have a friend who raises, um, grass-fed beef. Mm-hmm. This doesn't offend any of your listeners who no. are vegans, but, um, and so we, he basically, when we, we, it's like a community supported agriculture thing. Sure. So once a year we bring our coolers and then he fills the coolers and we take them home. So everybody gathers to pick up these coolers of meat. And a friend of mine was there with his daughter and he said to the rancher, I want you to know that my daughter is one third your cows <laughs> because she's been eating this meat her whole life. And it's a big portion of her diet. Mm-hmm. So she's literally the cows who ate the grass. That's what she's, that is the stuff of her. There's the nourishment so the creation of you okay there's the elimination so getting rid of the toxins and waste products and then there's managing it properly so that the system works and that's where food choices and lifestyle choices come in so when we talk about so what you choose to eat matters and if you're eating foods that are not the best for you and or you're not assimilating them well and or you're not getting rid of wastes well, then you have inflammation and that leads to symptoms and illness. Okay. All right. So let me just try to rephrase so I understand it correctly. So if you're eating this good food um, and everything is working well and everything is sort of optimized, then you're going to have the least amount of inflammation. However, if you're eating things that maybe are not as beneficial for you, um, so the system just gets clogged up a lot more and it also makes you feel much more inflamed, much more achy 
or it can um, go into different uh, systems and cause, you mentioned depression and you mentioned various other things. Am I, am I understanding it correctly? Yes. Okay, great. So, so based on what you're sharing with me, what are some of the ways of um, exploring or enhancing your digestive health? And how do you dial up that idea of consuming good food? And maybe like, how do you eliminate better or how do you process better? When we think about assimilation, when we think about digestion, I think we have an idea that it starts in our mouths. Okay. It doesn't start in our mouth. It starts in our head. It starts in our head when we think about food. It starts in our head when we smell food. And I don't mean this just as an idea. I mean this as a physiological reality. Um, A friend of mine, a colleague of mine, Dr. Courtney Jackson, did a TEDx talk about this. Um, uh, It's called Healthy Digestion, Not What But How. Okay. And she really goes in depth into this. But the short version is she talks about imagine a lemon. Mm -hmm. Picture it in front of you. Then imagine you take out a knife and you slice that lemon in half and you turn it over and you squeeze the lemon out so there's a little bit on the palm of your hand and then you lick it. And listening to that, you may have noticed that your mouth started to get wetter Mm -hmm. and started to salivate. For me, lemons are one of my very favorite things, so it was the perfect example for me for her to pick. Um, But literally what's happening is your brain begins a cascade of effects that go through your body. So digestion is... It's it's a complicated process. There are a Mm -hmm. lot of steps. There are a lot of parts. What happens in your mouth is different from what happens in your stomach, which is different from what happens in your small intestine, your large intestine, what your gallbladder does. And you need this to turn on for that to turn on and that to shut down so that can squirt and this to massage and this to do that. And so it's this complicated set of things. And where it starts is in your brain. Okay. Thinking about food, smelling food. One of the things that I talk about frequently as a main thing to do to optimize assimilation is to chew your food. And people forget we're in a hurry. We're eating in the car. Yes. Um, And the chewing of food is not about making it small enough to swallow which is how a lot of us function. It's about breaking it down, excuse me, breaking it down so that enzymes in our saliva can start the digestive process, but tasting it is reinforcing that stuff in the brain that's making all of the timing and all of the steps of digestion go. 
And I, and in this case, I'm talking about elimination too. So mm-hmm. all of that system on. One of the mistakes that we so commonly make is we don't take a minute to be intentional with what we're eating. So to the best of my knowledge, every human tradition takes a minute before eating, a moment of, you know, giving thanks for in religious traditions, it's a moment of prayer. Mm-hmm. But it's that moment to separate from the stress of our lives to the rest and digest function that allows everything to work. So smelling food, thinking about food, taking a moment to to switch into focusing on the food, chewing the food. If people did those things, that can make such a huge difference, just that. And that's something we can all do pretty much wherever we are. Beyond that, there are things that we can do with herbs that can help. So for instance, Orna, I apologize. Hold on one second. So I think it is absolutely beautiful. So, but I I want to follow up on a couple of things that you mentioned there. So um, that means perhaps that the way we eat uh, very often, whether it is with the television that is turned on or whether it is while reading something or while, you know, flipping through the news or reading our tweets or anything like this is perhaps not the the healthiest and the best things for our digestive health or for our digestive system. You're talking about creating more of a ritual around eating food because part of it is going to be enhancing your digestive health. Am Am I understanding this correctly? Yes, that's a beautiful way of putting it. Um, it also is helpful like to get to that ritual aspect of it. Mm-hmm. We ate at regular times. And so our bodies knew when to be hungry and ready for food and when not to be. And that's so hard for so many people. It's one of the things that's actually interesting about being in a regular kind of school situation. Mm-hmm. Eat before you go to school, hopefully, you have lunch at school, and then you have um, dinner after you get home from school. And that idea of the regular meal times is another thing that we've lost. And it can also make a huge difference for overall health. And, and it's fascinating because just a couple of weeks ago, I shared an episode with Camille Freeman, who was talking about the importance of the circadian rhythm and the idea of getting into this rhythm um, and how important it is for college students or young professionals or pretty much any one of us, uh, that your body, when you are um, telling your body that, okay, this is the time when we go for a walk, or this is the time when we're eating, the body is working a lot more efficiently. And I really love this concept. So, and what you are saying that perhaps digestive health or digestion is going to be one of the beneficiary of this consistency, correct? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. 
you were talking a little bit about some of the other things. So when I interrupted you, so you, you started talking about herbs or you started talking about some other things that you can perhaps do to, to help your digestive system. So I think, well, I don't know how removed people are from herbs in their lives, mm-hmm. but I grew up sort of in the back of my head knowing the chamomile tea was good for, for an uneasy stomach. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a thing that you could give a child if they had an uneasy stomach. And if you go to the store and look in the, the tea section, the herbal tea section, there are all sorts of teas that are called tummy something or digestive something. Mm-hmm. And if you look at the ingredients, Usually what's in them is some, excuse me, some version of either chamomile or mint. Mm -hmm. In herbal medicine, as you know, we call those aromatics, the things that smell the way most people think herbs smell. Mm -hmm. So um, aromatics would include um, the salad dressing herbs like oregano and rosemary, all of those things that smell good. Mm -hmm the way they work for digestion is it's part of what we were talking about before about smelling your food. Mm -hmm. Um, So turning on the brain, but there are compounds in those aromatics or the compounds that are aromatic in those herbs. They basically are slightly warming and stimulating to the system. So it's sort of like saying, Hey, look over here. Hey, stomach, want to do some digesting? Mm-hmm. Hey, let's go. Which makes it sound minor, but actually very little will make, can make a big difference. Mm-hmm. So I have a story when I was still kind of a baby herbalist. Mm-hmm. I was staying at a friend's house and we had gotten, we had gone to the supermarket and got some pre-made soup and I had a little bit of it and it not good. And I was feeling really nauseous. And I said to him, he was a student. I said, Hey, do you have any mint tea? He's like, no, he didn't have anything. And so I'm sitting here going, well, I guess I'm just going to feel awful until it passes. And then I noticed on his bookcase, he had a sage bundle. Mm -hmm. And I said, And, you know, it was probably really old and dusty and gross, but um, I said, hey, could I have like a little piece of that? And he's like, "Uh, sure. So I took a little piece and I sort of chewed it in my front teeth just to get that flavor. Mm -hmm. And, you know, within minutes, my stomach had calmed down. So it doesn't take necessarily very much for it to be effective so it's not like you have to have an intense big dose mm-hmm. you can go to the store and get the tummy tea or digestive tea and it can really help with upset or it can help to promote digestion another another class of herbs that we use um, works a little bit differently are the bitter herbs okay Um, so chamomile has a little bit of bitter in it. Um, I think that for most people, many people may be familiar with 
the bitters that are added to mixed drinks. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's usually a bunch of different herbs. And some of it can be things that are simple and generally pretty palatable, um, like um, orange peel, for instance, Mm -hmm. which is both aromatic and bitter. Um, Or it can be something like gentian or artichoke leaf, which is not the same things that people usually eat or dandelion greens or bitter greens that a lot of us don't, we've lost the taste for because we want everything to be sweet. Mm -hmm. But with bitters, it's not about those, with aromatics, it's about touching the membranes. Mm -hmm. With bitters, just the taste hits a nerve in your mouth that sends a reflex up to the brain that turns on the whole digestive system. It's like a jumpstart to the whole system and you just need to taste it. I had a friend who had heard me talk about this for a long time and he was going to bed one night and he had bad acid reflux and he thought of me and he likes making mixed drinks So he had some bitters in the house and he put a few drops on his tongue and he said to me later, Orna, you were right. Mm -hmm. Amazing. It just stopped. So that's also a really powerful thing. And I just want to add that with bitters, we think of it in terms of mixed drinks and alcohol, but you don't have to use alcohol to do this. You could literally grab a dandelion leaf from your backyard, um, assuming that it's a clean place. Mm-hmm. Or you could make something, um, you could make something using vinegar, apple cider vinegar, which also helps with digestion. So I had a patient who couldn't do alcohol and I went out to my backyard and I cut her a big artichoke leaf and I said, take this home, chop it up let it soak in, you know, put it in a jar, cover it with vinegar and let it soak for a week. And then you can start taking drops off of this to help promote digestion. Mm -hmm. And so you, you were talking about aromatics initially, and then you were talking about bitters and both of these things generally used before, after, with meals. Can you talk a little bit about that? So it depends what you're looking for. So if it's symptom relief, you take it when you have the symptoms. Okay. Um, if your digestion is pretty much fine, you probably don't need it. But if you're finding that sometimes food doesn't sit well with you or you have elimination issues, um, taking some bitters or taking a tea, taking bitters before you eat is ideal because mm-hmm. again, it's turning on the brain, which turns on the whole system. Okay. Um, aromatics, aromatics are traditionally part of our, well, both are traditionally part of our food. Mm-hmm. So think about eating a salad, which has bitter greens. You do that traditionally at the beginning of the meal. Right. And then the salad dressing or many of the condiments that we use have aromatic and or bitter herbs in them. So all of the salad dressing herbs, as we said, are aromatic and so help promote that. Um, And some of them are a little bit bitter too. 
And that's an awesome reminder that uh, things that we eat, that we consume, and traditions that have been created, that we often think that there is really no rhyme or reason for them. But when you start really pulling it apart and thinking about ingredients and thinking how these things affect you, you all of a sudden you start finding that thread that really helps you to become a little bit healthier as you eat this good food, right? Yes, it's really interesting because especially I think in this country, we want to be, we want to rebel against structure and rebel against traditions and create things new from whole cloth. Mm -hmm. Um, There were reasons for those things. There were reasons for those traditions. We don't have to accept all of it. Mm -hmm. We don't have to believe all of it, but I think it's instructive to question why it was there, not just question in the sense of, I don't have to do it that way. Right. Why did they do it that way? Yes, that, that makes a lot of sense. Thank you. Thank you for bringing this up. So when you're talking about some of the aromatics, so let's, uh, if you're not thinking necessarily about the salad dressing, um, but if you're thinking about teas, you mentioned chamomile tea, you mentioned peppermint tea, anything else that comes to mind that would be relatively simple and easy for someone to, to make uh, if they are home or if they have materials maybe in their garden or plants that they can uh, pick? I think that for digestion, for most people, um, chamomile and mint are really good starting points. Okay. Um, If you don't have those, but you have any of the salad dressing herbs, that might not be the thing that you would first want to go to. Okay. But but that would be something that you could do in a pinch. So do you have any thoughts on ginger, for example? Right. Ginger. (laughs) Thank you. Um, So ginger tea is pretty strong. Um, One of the things that, that we're hearing more about these days is a condition called SIBO, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. Mm -hmm. And it's really nothing new. It's basically the bugs in the gut that are, well, bugs in the gut, some of which are supposed to live there and some of which may have migrated into places where they're not supposed to live. Mm -hmm. It's an old thing. Um, I think part of what's interesting and new about it is the idea that when things are out of whack, the rhythmic contractions of the digestive system, particularly the small intestine and the large intestine aren't working right. Okay. So instead of it being waves, it just, things get stuck. Okay. So ginger is honestly, one of the reasons I don't think about ginger much for tea, except when I'm sick is that I, for me, it's very strong. Okay. And for me, it pushes me too much. Um, I actually have to admit that I am the same way. So I use ginger most of the times when I have a cold, when I have a flu or something similar to that. So even though I like it in my food, but I will not necessarily drink ginger tea on a daily basis. Right. So it's strong. And what I was trying to get at with the SIBO stuff and the 
the waves is one of the things that ginger does is it gets those waves working again. So okay. stores the motility of the system. I use ginger exactly the same way you do. I use mm-hmm. it more for its heating properties okay. when I have a cold or a flu. Um, and I, I like the tea, but really only when, it's, when I'm cold mm-hmm. or I'm sick. But your point that you put it in your food gets back to what we were talking about before about mm-hmm. traditional foods and traditional right. preparations there are reasons these things are in there. There's, there are reasons these things taste good to us. Right, right. Because ginger is aromatic. Mm-hmm. Ginger is bitter. Ginger, like many of the aromatics, is antimicrobial. So if you've got something in your food that might be a little bit funky, it's going to help your immune system. Not, it'll help you not get sick. Right, right. It's salad dressing herbs too. So again, if you can put these things in your food rather than have them be a separate prescription. So people talk a lot now about turmeric and the quote unquote active constituent curcumin. Mm-hmm. And there are all of these supplements out there that have more and more and more of this active constituent. You can spend a lot of money on it. Mm-hmm. And it really helps some people with chronic disease. But traditionally, turmeric was part, in the areas where it grew, it was part of meals and it was part of almost everything in every meal. So you were getting a steady dose of this really powerful anti-inflammatory root. Mm -hmm. And that kept people healthy. So traditional foods keep people healthy. That's, that's awesome. Thank you. Thank you. So we are, we have been talking uh, quite a bit about traditions and we have been talking quite a bit of uh, uh, resources that we all have around us. Are there certain things that you would recommend for your patients, maybe books or websites or uh, companies like uh, where you would purchase either seeds or herbs or anything along those lines? Do you have favorites? Um, okay. So it depends what people are looking for. If you're like I used to be, where you want somebody else to have gone to school and figured it out and just help you do what you need to do. Mm-hmm. There are great resources for finding herbalists or naturopathic physicians. Okay. So you mentioned earlier the American Herbalists Guild where we met. Yep. And they have a directory of registered herbalists. Mm-hmm. So you can find folks who live near you or, or folks who do remote consults. For naturopathic physicians, um, we're licensed in, I think it's 18 states. And most states, including the unlicensed states, um, have associations where you can find the naturopaths who have gone to the four or five years of medical school with the extensive clinical training and are qualified for licenses in the states that offer that. So you can look for the Naturopathic Physicians Association for your state. And, 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 
Right, right. And, and I think uh, one place that I tend to look at first is naturopathic.org for, once again, for the rosters of uh, practitioners. Is that the resource that you're referring to or you're talking about looking for the ones that each state has specifically? So it's a little bit of both. Okay. Both sites will list their members. So some people are members of the American Association of Naturopathic Physicians and their state organizations. So here is the Oregon Association of Naturopathic Physicians. Mm -hmm. Some are only members of the AANP, the national. Some are only members of their state organization. And there are probably some very good practitioners who aren't members of either. But you'll only see them listed if they are dues-paying members. Okay, okay. If you're in a state with licensing, you can look through the state licensing office and just see who's there and then go to websites. Okay, all right, thank you. Um, and then in terms of learning more about herbal medicine yourself, oneself, um, the American Herbalist Guild does list schools around the country. Mm-hmm. And there's a website called Herb Rally. One okay. more, I think it's, I don't remember if it's .com or .org. I'll, I'll include it, yep. And they list pretty much everything. Mm-hmm. They're a great site and they break it down by state. Um, so you can see schools and you can see upcoming events. So um, you can see that somebody in your town or the next town over maybe is doing a free two-hour class or there's an herb walk or here's a school that takes two years, whatever, or four years or five years, whatever is of interest to you. Okay. And then in terms of seeds, I have a million recommendations. (laughs) Um, But Strictly Medicinal Seeds in Southern Oregon has one of the most comprehensive, it may be the most comprehensive list of seeds for medicinal plants, seeds and starts and bulbs in some cases. So they're a, they're a great resource. What are they called again? Strictly medicinal. I think it's strictly medicinal herbs. Okay, I'll herbs. take a look. I'll take a look and I'll include them in the show notes. And then whatever cool seed companies you have in your neck of the woods. Mm-hmm. So um, we have several in Oregon. One of my favorites um, is from when I lived in Maine. Fedco Seeds. Okay. And they are a co-op. They do a really, they don't have a lot of herbal seeds, of herbal medicinal seeds, but they have a lot of fruit and a lot of vegetable seeds. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I love about them is they'll tell you, they have little codes. They'll tell you if things are organic or not. And they'll tell you um, if it was grown by a small, like family farmer or if it was grown by an enormous corporation Mm -hmm. to make choices. Um, And then in terms of getting herbs, nowadays you can find these in a lot of health food stores, Mm -hmm. some of the the bigger chains. Often, if it's not a store that specifically focuses on herbs, that stuff may be kind of old. Like okay. you can find it in bulk. It may be kind of old. 
All right. That case I was talking about at the beginning where my patient went and bought herself herb, some of the herb that we were using and made her own tincture from it. Mm -hmm. She got nasty, gnarly, old stuff and it still worked for her. So, you know, you can do better, but if that's what you can find, that can be great. And then if there are herb stores in your town or near you, it's great to support them. And often the people working there can be very knowledgeable, can be more knowledgeable than a lot of doctors. Not all of them will be, but some of them are. Okay. And then there are online resources um, for herbs, and there are local ones around the country. One of the biggest ones is Mountain Rose Herbs. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is here in Oregon, but they're not the only, they're a great choice. They're ethical and they have good quality. They're not the only choice. That's awesome. So I'm going to tell you a secret. And I have a friend of mine who listens to the uh, episodes of this podcast. And when I just began, she was uh, telling me, she's like, what is mountain rose herbs? Why is everyone mentioning that? And so maybe like a week ago or a couple of weeks ago, she said, I feel like a real insider because now I know what mountain rose herbs is. (laughs) So I was laughing and it was so adorable. I want to go back to resources for one. Okay, okay, sure. Um, And just add any books by Rosemary Gladstar are a great, great place to start. Um, She has very specific books and she has very general books and some of them are little so that and they have formulas that you can make yourself for teas or for for more intense medicines um but that's a great starting point um for digestion for whatever you're interested in or whatever your needs are for herbal medicine that's perfect thank you as we're coming to an end of this interview, there are two questions that I have for you. Are there any additional thoughts or ideas that you want to share with this audience that we perhaps didn't cover earlier today? So that's question one. And then the second one will be, how can someone learn more about you and learn more from you? In terms of things we haven't covered, we, th- we have been taught to think that medicine and health are hard Mm -hmm. not we mostly know what we need to do we know what foods are better for us generally and what foods are not good for us both in like what human beings need and what works for us as individuals we know we need to spend time outside We know we need to take deep breaths. We know we need to stop and appreciate even just for a minute and get out of the stress for just a minute. We know we need to take deep breaths. We know we need to love and we need to hug and we know we need to do things that give us joy even when we think we don't have time. We know those things are necessary and those things are so important for health. And that's important because we have so many things that make us unhappy. And then we go looking for things to solve those things. And so that makes us vulnerable to 
have this miracle cure, try this fancy fad diet. You need a cleanse. You need a detox. You don't. Mm -hmm. You need to eat real food. You need to chew it. Mm -hmm. Think about it, smell it, chew it, eat real food. You need to drink water, not soda, not beer, not tea, water. You need to spend time outside, things that I've just said. And mostly for most people, those things are enough. If you get sick, you get sick. If you have a chronic disease, there are ways to address it. But there's a big movement right now with genetic testing and really specific medicine. And people are all different and that's all real. But you still know that you need to eat your veggies and that mm-hmm. that's almost always the answer to everything. Not always, but almost always. So we know those things. Sometimes we don't want to do those things. And so we look for a different thing, but that's what it comes down to. And the good news is that gives you power. It gives you power over your life. And it's really profound. So you can go down the rabbit hole of genetic testing and a million supplements or this herb or that herb or that herb that only grows in that one spot halfway around the world. But the fundamentals remain the same and true health remains in those same things of eating good food, assimilating it well, getting rid of what we don't need and keeping everything on an even keel. Absolutely love it. Love it, love it, love it. Thank you. Thank you for this beautiful reminder. And um, just made me think of just one thing. It's very simple. It's not easy, but it's very simple. Mm-hmm. Yes. Thank you. It is. And anybody who tells you it's not, ask what they're selling. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for that as well. So Orna, how can our audience learn more from you and learn more about you? So I have my, I have my clinic website. Okay. Um, it is Salilo Natural Health Center, which nobody can spell, just like nobody can spell my name. But I will include them, I promise. Um, you can basically Google Orna Naturopath. Okay. Um, Orna Oregon. And if you do Orna Oregon, I'll show up right underneath the Oregon Registered Nurses Association. Okay. Not me. Okay. Um, my clinic has a web pa- a Facebook page also, Salilo Natural Health Center on Facebook. Um, I have a personal Instagram, a personal public Instagram um, feed, which is Garden Medicine. Um, Once again, amazing pictures. So thank you for them. Thank you for sharing them. It is my joy. It's how I get out in nature. It's how I have some joy as one of my prescriptions. Wonderful. Wonderful. Orna, thank you again so much. This was a fascinating discussion, a fascinating conversation. I'm so grateful that you were able to join me today. Thank you again. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very happy to be here. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today. I hope you've enjoyed this conversation with Dr. Orna Isaacson. You can find all the resources mentioned during this interview in the show notes at 
www.wellnessinsidernetwork.com slash 25. When you have a moment, I'd greatly appreciate it if you could share some love by leaving a rating or review about the show wherever you download your podcasts. This is the best way to help others to learn about the Wellness Insider Network. It also helps to bring wonderful guests like Orna to join us here. This episode is proudly brought to you by Herbs Talk. Herbs Talk is a grassroots Boston-based herbal event and organization. Herbs Talk hosts classes on herbal and holistic health topics, offers urban plant walks, and brings together herbal crafters and artisans from across New England and so much more. This year's main event is on June 2nd and 3rd in Somerville, Massachusetts. Please check out the link in the show notes for more information. Thanks again for being here. I appreciate you. Be smart, be healthy, be you. Mm-hmm.